For the past three years, the Science of Reading Star Awards have honored educators who are beacons of light, guiding their classrooms, schools, districts, and most importantly, students through transformations with literacy. Now join us as we honor this year's winners at a special celebration event, which will feature celebrity keynoters and past podcast guests, Mitchell Brookins. Two years ago, one of my students as a school administrator came to me on the playground and he said, Mr. Brookins, I want to be like the other kids. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Mr. Brookins, I want to learn how to read. And Malcolm Mitchell. When I scored a touchdown, they either probably put my name in the newspaper, people probably tell me good job all around town. But when I finished one book, no one ever said anything. So which one am I more likely to repeat? Find out more information and register for the 2024 Science of Reading Star Awards ceremony at amplify.com slash Star Awards celebrations. That's amplify.com slash Star Awards celebration, all one word. Welcome to Science of Reading, the podcast. I'm your host, Susan Lambert. As the reading science movement continues to grow, even during this unprecedented time, it's so important to stay focused on what it takes to develop confident and capable readers. As we've learned, change can happen fast. That makes it even more important to stay connected and learn from each other. The more we learn and listen, the more prepared we'll be to lead. Together, let's voice challenges and take action. Dr. LaTanya Goffney, superintendent of Aldine School District in Texas, joins us to talk about her science of reading journey. When she joined the district, she had a laser focus on student reading outcomes, which led her to explore instructional change. She discusses how she worked both internally and externally in the discovery process to lead the district in making a dramatic change in their approach to teaching reading. Her transparency about this two-year journey is not just interesting, but encouraging for those wanting to embark on a similar journey. Well, hello, Dr. Goffney. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for having me. So as you know, we always like to ask our guests to introduce themselves, and I would love for you to talk a little bit about your journey into the science of reading. Uh, You know, Susan, um, it is just kind of surreal sitting here right now uh, as a a guest. (laughs) I'm so thankful, and I'm I'm thankful because I I think back to my my childhood, and I think back to um, many people ask, how did I make it out of such um, dire uh, situation? I I was uh, born in um, poverty. My mom, uh, she was 14 when she had me, and I never knew my father. I had a, um, a, a, a bad start, a terrible start. However, I had a, a grandmother who uh, rescued me from some unfortunate um, situations with my mother who was too young. And long story short, one of the things that my grandmother loved to do was to go to um, go to garage sales. And um, at those garage sales, she was always embarrassed to not buy anything, so she would give me money uh, to go buy books. And so at an early, early age, I loved reading and it was an escape from my my current reality. And so I always assumed that everyone loved reading. But from an early age, I just remember some of my best memories and um, was was the love of reading. And oh. so <laughs> um, I, 
I just thought about that when you asked that question that I, I've just always loved reading. And as a child, I think it's what saved me from uh, a terrible situation at home was the fact that I could escape through reading. Mm, that's wow. That's just really a lovely visual. Um, and you're right that <laughs> not every kid learns to love reading and it's sometimes because they don't know how to read too. That is so true. So true. And, um, you know, going back again to my grandparents, um, I, I share the fact that, you know, my grandmother had a fifth grade education and my, my um, grandpa, he had to drop, drop out of school in third grade. And my grandpa, he couldn't read and he uh, actually had to write his name in X because he couldn't write any either. And so he would tell me, he'd say, Latanya, if you can read, you can go anywhere. And I still have a bad sense of direction, but he's absolutely right. I think reading is the gateway to opportunity. And so mm-hmm. as we talk about and think about uh, in our district that uh, we want students to graduate with more than a high school diploma, we want them to graduate with choices and opportunities. And the sad reality is they're going to be limited if they're not reading on grade level. And so um, that is what um, has um, inspired me or pushed me uh, to discover um the science of teaching reading and how we can best prepare our students for their futures. Do you remember when you first encountered, were, were you, l- let me phrase it another way. Were you one of those lucky ones that in your undergraduate <laughs> education had a really strong reading science, you know, coursework, or did you sort <laughs> of discover it later? Oh, I'm embarrassed to say, Susan, um, it was much later. It was actually more recent. Mm-hmm. Um, Typically, um, you know, we do have that opportunity. And I'm so embarrassed to even say this. I was an eighth grade um, uh, English language arts teacher, but there's no way I could have taught reading. I didn't learn how to teach students who had come to my class and didn't have the ability to to read. And so there was no teaching um, decoding or anything of that nature. Um, We learned, um, if I can just be candid, tricks. You know, whenever there was a time for a test, we, we taught them to find words and, you know, they may not understand what they're reading, but to find the right answer and to eliminate mm-hmm. wrong answers and so on and so forth. And so I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> so um, it, it's embarrassing, but uh, it's just in recent years and it's been like an aha for me uh, since uh, day one. Yeah. And, you know, thank you for being you know a little vulnerable about that, because we have lots of teachers out there that are listening right now that have been in a similar situation. And some of them recent college graduates to mm-hmm. say, we weren't taught this. And, and how do you teach children when you weren't taught yourself? Absolutely. And I certainly understand it because we weren't taught it. We weren't. Yeah. But hopefully um, with more of a focus. I know in our state, uh, in Texas, with more of a focus on reading, I think it's going to help us to um, move the needle faster and um, ensure that our students truly are getting solid uh, reading instruction. I know that you all are a Um, adopting and implementing a new ELA curriculum this year that is really Mm -hmm. grounded in the science of reading, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't a simple decision, but you're here now. (laughs) And I'd love if you could talk us a little bit. I think it's been, was it a two-year journey to get to this moment? (laughs) It has. Susan, it's been a two-year journey, but it's one that I'm so very proud of. Uh, two years ago, I was named a superintendent of a district uh, in Houston, Texas called Aldean ISD and very proud of, of where I am. But I'm telling you, it's been a two year journey. Uh, when I walked in, um, actually literacy instruction was a hot 
button topic because they we just gone through a curriculum audit and a mm. uh, very popular uh, balanced literacy approach uh, was uh, under fire because we had teachers who loved it, but yet the results didn't show evidence of, of that love per se. And so um, when you're looking at um, only, you know, 20 uh, 7% of your students being able to read on grade level in third grade. Wow. One out of four, you know, and uh, it was, it was, it was an aha for sure. But uh, one of the things that I have prided myself on is making sure of putting students needs. You know, I love teachers, but I love students mm-hmm. more. And I recognize that um, had teachers not done what was best for me, I wouldn't be where I am. You know, education is a great equalizer. And as I stated earlier, literacy is the, is the uh, basically opens opportunity for you. And so we've got to get literacy right. And so on top of the curriculum audit that was conducted before I got there, I went through and I partnered with a local university to do a program evaluation of that particular strategy because on every a uh, survey that I put out in every focus group that I had, everyone was saying, you've got to do something about literacy. And then even without that qualitative data or that uh, information, when you looked at the data itself, it was like, <laughs> you know, whether you say we didn't implement with fidelity or you say we didn't do X or we didn't do Y, uh, we've got to do something different because right now um, our students are suffering. And so... We went through a, a, a partnership with uh, an organization so that they could, an external organization that could come in and help us um, uh, create our own literacy vision and literacy framework. But it started, uh, it was a hard conversation to begin. So we knew that we couldn't move too quick, but mm-hmm. we had to to move. And so uh, we got a cross-section of leaders, uh, literacy leaders from across our district and Uh, just embarked on a learning journey and Mm -hmm. uh, looking at best practices, not only in Texas, uh, but also across the nation. Um, And while looking at those best practices, though, becoming clear on what our beliefs were for our district and creating a framework for our district. Hmm. Wow. So I'm going to take us back a couple of steps and, (laughs) and talk about a little bit about, so I think I heard you say you had a curriculum audit that happened before you came in and then you partnered with a local university to actually Mm -hmm. look at results was, do you feel like that was your first step towards building internal awareness or understanding of this need for a new approach or, or how did you go about that? Absolutely. That was the first step. I mean, just looking at the data uh, and also looking at um, why we thought the data was the way it was. And then um, what do we do now to improve student outcomes? You know, recognizing that um, if you had a child who was in this a district and this was the data, what would you expect for the district to do to keep doing what you're doing and hoping for something different? or to really take a, a honest, good look at how we can best um, move our district forward. And so um, I began to sell the problem and looking at the data, looking at uh, where we were, it was unacceptable. It was unacceptable. And so long story short, we were able to, it, it was tough because uh, this particular curriculum is, uh, our approach is quite popular and mm-hmm. the experience is quite lavish. And I'm telling you, our um, our teachers, our literacy coaches, all of them were, uh, they believed in it. And they didn't, it was 
the weirdest, strangest thing, if I can be honest, when you say, is this okay? Are they, when you put the data up and they were like, absolutely not. So what are we going to do about it? And so um, long story short, but it was the first step. And so when we pulled everyone together and started thinking about um, our literacy vision and framework for our district, that's when we began to to see change. So I, I had to go slow. So like you said and alluded to, it's been a two-year journey. But mm-hmm. um, taking those first initial steps uh, bought us not only the time that we needed to get it right, but also enabled us to have uh, more buy-in. Mm-hmm. And then did you find or do you think that um, the data wasn't people weren't paying attention to the data so much or did they, you know, did they like the, what they were doing so much that they, they wanted to dismiss it or something else? I think they liked the, the, what they were doing so much that they um, weren't looking at and the outcomes of, uh, cause even what was even shocking I was, I mean, I was trying really hard because keep in mind, I didn't know anything about the science of teaching reading. Mm-hmm. I'm just coming in knowing that, you know, this is unacceptable to have less than uh, 25% of your students reading on grade level by third grade. And um, so I don't know what's right or what's wrong. I just know that what we've done is not right by kids. And mm-hmm. so having those uh, initial conversations, what surprised me though is, you know, you had some early adopters and some purists. Oh, on this yep. campus here, it's it's done right. Okay, let me go see and let me look at their data. So even on the campuses whose um, leaders were purists, meaning we know it was implemented with fidelity, that there it wasn't a fidelity issue. It just wasn't the right curriculum or the right approach for our students um, in our district. And so when I was, we looked at the data and even it was declining, even on the campuses in which Fidelity wasn't what they were called, they were saying was the issue. It, this wasn't implemented with Fidelity. So even on the campuses in which you had the purest forms, it wasn't moving the needle. And mm-hmm. so we knew we had to do something different in Aldine in order to improve student outcomes. So there you are sitting <laughs> with data that's not looking the greatest Mm -hmm. you're you don't you're not an expert in reading science um as you're sitting there in your office or wherever you're sitting what are you what are you thinking are you thinking how am i going to go about making a change Mm -hmm. so that we can get our kids to learn to read Absolutely. That's exactly where we were. And um, uh, and that's where our external partner came in. Uh, it, it was actually time to adopt a new textbook. And in Texas, it's on a time schedule. And so um, I was told, oh, we shouldn't even worry about adopting a new textbook. We should just get um, more uh, level readers. Uh, uh, or no, you know, some of them want to do this because of this and others want to do that because of this. And I'm like, wow. I mean, the, the amount of thought that was being put into what um, what strategies or what curriculum or what um, was going to help our students to move forward, we weren't spending the necessary time truly thinking it through. And so, um, and I'm thankful that I had the, the courage to say, you know what, we're not, we're going to halt this. Um, and I had, um, again, a, a thought partner who had access and had worked with a, a group that could um, help us 
to look at next steps and convene a committee and, and go through the, the process of creating our uh, literacy framework and vision process. And so um, we, we just stopped. And um, it was it was not the norm for for Aldine, and it certainly wasn't the norm for Texas. And um, but taking that time has uh, helped us to build buy in over time. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. So mm-hmm. when you did stop then mm-hmm. and to decide to build and put together this little this literary framework, mm-hmm. what 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 did the steps look like for you at Aldine to be able to do that? Well, it uh, it was uh, over a period of nine months um, with the support. We were able to put in, we wanted people who were um, uh, true, what we call purists or uh, loved the, the, all of our literacy leaders. So we have uh, literacy coaches, we had principals, we had um, school assistant soups, we had teachers. We just created a cross-section of what we call literacy leaders to kind of come together and think about how we move forward. And so uh, we removed the idea of what we were going to adopt out of the way and said, okay, what is our vision? Because remember at this particular point, and I'm going to share that we had a meeting um, with literacy leaders from across the district. And one of the things and one of the dates that I'll never forget was um, uh, someone making a statement uh, as we were talking about um, the fact that when we went throughout the classrooms, because remember, I'm creating this partnership and rely, relying on others mm-hmm. to go and report back on, you know, what we think we're seeing in our classrooms. You know, that we have uh, great level texts in our classrooms. And uh, what we found was um, our students first time seeing great level texts was on our, our, our state assessment, which is called oh. the STAR test. So throughout the year, our students were not exposed (laughs) to grade level text. And so I remember uh, one of the uh, literacy uh, coaches saying, you know, if we expose our students to grade level text, it will cause them to be frustrated. And I, I, you know, I'm new. Remember, I'm the new superintendent and I'm <laughs> looking, I, listening and learning and trying to, you know, collect data. And, you know, so long story short, you're 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 talking to someone whose grandpa couldn't read and yeah. had very little opportunities. He had to cut lawns for a living. And so here you are as a fourth grade, this fourth grade um, literacy leader saying that um, not having access to grade level text is going to frustrate you, you know, try graduating and not being able to read at all because you thought as a fourth grade teacher that um, they shouldn't um, have access to grade level text. And so we knew that we had to do something different. And so I'm kind of going backward and coming back forward. Uh, And so we had to level set, like completely level set. We're going in a totally a uh, new direction, and we're going to do what's best for children. And so I was very pleased uh, when the team had come together in over five months. They just they met monthly. This group of uh, of leaders, cross section of leaders from across our district, they met. Uh, we had a, a facilitator, and they were able to come and um, study. Uh, best practices. They were able to read literature. They were able to read articles and. Um, actually come up with what is Aldine ISD's literacy vision statement. And I was like, wow, it kind of scared me after having those initial conversations. <laughs> but what they were able to come back with and then the, the, the framework that accompanied it, it was 
amazing. You know, Alden ISD will provide academically rigorous and culturally relevant literacy instruction that prepares all students to be analytical readers, skillful writers, and effective communicators for success in college, career, and life. That was the Mm -hmm. vision statement. And they were very proud. They cheered, they clapped, and they shared it and unveiled it. And there was a lot of, you know, every we broke all those pieces down and what that meant and what that would look like in our classrooms. And it was it was powerful. And then not only was there just a, a vision statement, there were commitments from our, you know, uh, what we were going to be able to provide for our students, uh, what was going to be expected of our teachers, our coaches, our campus administrators and district administrators. And then, you know, the, the, the core beliefs were based on the four tenets, just foundational skills, building knowledge, complex text and integrated writing. And I say all that because at the time you asked me earlier about my earliest experience with the science of teaching reading. Right. Uh, What happened was, while they were doing all of this work, Mm -hmm. they were coming up with the literacy vision and framework. Uh, We were having a conversation across our state. Uh, Our commissioner pulls, um, commissioner's cabinet of superintendents, and our NAEP results had come out. And in our NAEP results, you know uh, where Texas falls. Ouch. It was ouch. And then we were talking about the performance of African-American students. Mm. And um, I typically am pretty quiet, but um, (laughs) I was like, you know, are we saying that African-Americans are inferior and cannot learn to read? Is that why we remain at the bottom? What are we going to do about it? And so that was one of the, the conversations that was I think took the commissioner, he, he leads with an equity lens. But as we were talking about math, it was an easy conversation to have because, you know, it was like, OK, this is where we are. But for, for literacy and for reading specifically, um, we were talking about African-American children and um, children of color and uh, the performance and so on and so forth. And I asked. And so um, a few weeks later, I received um he he was actually, I'm telling his story, but he was actually getting on a flight and he said, hey, have you read this book? And it was called The Knowledge Gap by Natalie oh, Wexler. Yes. <laughs> and I said, no, but I will. And so um, we're doing this work, remember, in our district, literacy vision and framework right. and going out and doing that. I receive uh, uh, the, the book. I download it quickly. Um, I get a hard copy. I, I have it on Audible. And I'm reading, I said it to my chief academic officer. He is like, because I'm getting monthly reports from what's happening. Mm-hmm. He is actually in, uh, in the experience. And he was like, Dr. Gavin, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? He goes, this is, <laughs> everything's just coming together. And he was explaining to me uh, how all of it was fitting together, that the um, the information that we're getting in the knowledge gap and thinking about, I mean, like, uh, the baseball analogy and all these different things, uh, thinking about the the black, brown, and students of poverty that we serve, it's it's like a, I can't really describe it to you, but everything just came together. And then um, as they were rolling out our vision and framework, then it was time to think about, okay, what is our curriculum uh, moving forward? And so I think it's important that I note here that um, we had paused the adoption of a curriculum moving forward. Yeah. We were able to level set, to think about what are our beliefs as it relates to literacy and what is our v- vision as it relates to literacy. And then 
uh, we were able to think about, okay, now what curriculums will line up with our literacy vision and framework? I think that's really important. And I was going to come back and reiterate that point because to stop or pause a curriculum adoption is often unheard of, not just in Texas, but across the nation. And to be able to take a step back and say, before we invest in this new thing, mm-hmm. we need to understand what we want from it. That's it. That was it. That was and the did most you important. And did you get questions or pushback at all on the pause of that curriculum adoption process? Um, inside our district, our, um, our staff, our leaders, uh, even the ones who were... Um, were married to the way things had always been done, I think they were still hopeful that that would be the same way. But because literally I didn't have, I, I, I didn't come in knowing about the science of teaching and reading. I didn't come in with any preconceived ideas. Mm-hmm. I just want to get it right for kids. And mm-hmm. so because that was the goal uh, and being open and free and they were able to come together and have these these shared experiences. And again, we didn't stack the deck or anything. It was truly literacy leaders, a cross-sectional group. And to see their growth, I'm telling you, the first meeting, I was halfway agitated. But by the end, like it was so the unveiling of the vision statement, as I shared earlier, the thought about what of our what of our core beliefs and our commitments and all of that to see the growth over time uh, of the of the shared experience was much, much easier. So there was pushback, a little bit of angst from uh, those who um, who had decided to make another choice when they saw that uh, we were leading with students in mind. And so there were uh, external people uh, who were concerned about going in a different direction and uh, concerned about what that could possibly look like. But internally, there was a level of excitement. And I think they appreciated the courage to do what was right by kids. And Mm -hmm. so I could not be more proud of our our teachers, of our leaders, of our, um, especially our our chief of academics, who was, uh, had been in a district for many, many years as a school assistant soup and was promoted and took this and came up with this process that is something that, again, we can be proud of. So were there some who were concerned? Yes, but those people were able to find them a a new uh, area or a district in which they could continue on the journey that they uh, were passionate about. And meanwhile, we could focus on doing what was best for kids. Mm. And there's two things uh, that I want to sort of unpack on, and they're they're sort of related because it has to do a little bit with, this is a scary process, right? So it's a little (laughs) bit of fear. And I think if you go all the way back to that comment, which uh, I've heard from many, many, many teachers, if we would show our students this text that's at grade level, Mm -hmm. they are going to they're going to get, they're going to get scared or they're mm-hmm. not going to be able to do it. And, and it's going to be too frustrating to, to them. And that comes from, I think, a place of fear too. Like how do we then support and help them mm-hmm. um, in that process? Um, but uh, yeah, those, both of those two things are just um, not uncommon, I think, in the change process when it comes to teaching reading science. I agree. And I think, too, though, Susan, uh, we need to call it what it is. It's the um, it's low expectations for mm-hmm. um, for for certain groups of kids, of certain groups of students, in my opinion, of, of black, brown and students of poverty. 
Uh, you would never have that expectation if you were in a more affluent area where I'm not going to push them or I'm not going to expose them to grade level text. That is more, that's the norm. But I do believe that um, um, we have to be careful, especially when we're in urban settings or when we're surrounded by black, brown or students of poverty, that we don't uh, handicap or keep our, all of our students from reaching their, their fullest potential by exposing them to challenging um, texts as well. So I really believe uh, uh, that good intentions, and I don't, I certainly don't um, um, hold any fault or point any fingers, but I think that as leaders, we have to be prepared to, to challenge that, that notion of low expectations. Mm, that's so powerful and very much, you know, very wise words um, in that statement. So you're at a place now where you've built awareness and understanding that the data isn't supporting the program that you're using. You stop the curriculum adoption process and build your literacy framework. Mm -hmm. What do you do next to go through to start selecting this new curriculum you're going to adopt? Well, you know, um, what was interesting was the fact that um, as they were, we didn't go and do the traditional thing. <laughs> we didn't seek, I'm going to call them vendors for now. We didn't seek yep. vendors. We didn't okay. go to vendor fairs. Mm -hmm. We studied the data of different schools, school districts that look like ours mm -hmm. and in different states. And when we saw those who were moving the needle, we asked them what curriculum <laughs> Are what are you, you using? doing? <laughs> what are yeah. you doing? So yeah. we didn't allow vendors to come straight to us. I mean, if you were to ask the current uh, curriculum that we're going with, we didn't go to them. Mm -hmm. We went to where um, the student outcomes were improving. And over and over again, we were hearing the same uh, curriculum. And so then we uh, began to uh, continue to do research, ask questions. We met with the leaders of those districts, talked about uh, how they were able to launch it, and then actually went out and did site visits. And so uh, that was probably the most powerful because uh, you don't know this, Susan, but we were actually planning uh, because our district, we have 67,000 students, 82 different schools. We were actually planning initially to go slow. <laughs> you would think two years would be uh. slow enough, but we were planning to roll it out slower. But after a site visit, uh, where we sent uh, our, our chief academic officer did not go and neither did I. We didn't want anyone to think anything because, like I said, we were just looking for what was uh, our best next step. And mm -hmm. so uh, we sent a group out um, to, to Tennessee and they actually went to visit a district. And one of our ones who uh, our school assistant, who really wanted us to go slow, came back and practically with tears in her eyes, uh, she was like, we can't. We can't wait. We cannot wait. She said, when you go to see students who look like ours, who are able to um, just decode and process and uh, they had the background knowledge and um, you could just tell um, that they were so much further along than our, our students. You know, if you go in a first grade classroom there and, a, and remember a first grade classroom here and you see um, reading instruction, it just was at a totally different level. And so... Um, you know, we say here we want to we want to demonstrate in Texas what's possible for black, brown and students of poverty. 
they were able to see it. And when they saw it, they believed it and said, you know what, if they can do it, so can we. And we've got to we can't wait. And that um, that was probably one of the most profound things we did in our process is that we did not allow uh, vendors to try to sell us or tell us what they could do. And, uh, you know, typically you say, well, show me your data and they would go tell us, no, we went and sought those districts that were uh, making it happen. And then we asked them, what curriculum were you using? And it came back to the science of teaching reading. That's so interesting. And I wonder for, you know, folks that are listening right now, how different that would be to say to the district adoption (laughs) committee, nope, we're not going to ask for samples of reading Mm -mm. programs. We're Mm -mm. going to find, how did you, how did you find districts that were, that were doing well? What was your process for that? Um, and keep in mind, everyone in, in Texas, they knew um, that I did, had not adopted. So I was getting samples of everything. All of uh-huh. was getting <laughs> samples of everything. <laughs> so they sent them anyway. Everywhere I went, people yeah. were trying to approach me. That mm-hmm. is why you have to have a laser focus on what is right for your district mm-hmm. and uh, be committed to our literacy um, vision and framework because I was, we weren't swayed, nobody. And if they were, it wasn't going to do them any good because we committed to this process. And so uh, it's totally different. And the way we were able to see uh, we from <laughs> with the internet, you have access to, to the world now. So we were able to Google, <laughs> but in addition yeah. though, um, with our external partner uh, who is, does incredible work with literacy across the country. Um, they were able to uh, bring us a lot of the data, uh, searching to see who had moved the needle with uh, black children, who moved the needle with English English language learners, who had moved the needle with students of poverty, and um, looking at what uh, um, the different people that we could approach as questions. And then, of course, um, looking at their data, studying that before we even had a conversation with them. And so yeah. that was different. That's uh, amazing what you just said, the laser focus, you know, mm-hmm. commitment to your literacy framework and not letting anything else get in in, in the way of that. Mm-hmm. That's a commitment. It was. Mm-hmm. And I think because of where we are or where we where we are, were, because I'm not claiming that we're going to remain there. We made a, a little bit of progress, even in the interim, because we were focused, and I guess just knowing, and then I'm looking forward to even more progress as we implement and launch our new curriculum. But um, uh, I think that um, having that, that focus and knowing that we weren't going to cheat the process uh, mm-hmm. was also uh, valuable for our staff, and they they took pride in that. You know, yeah. and so it was about providing that ownership. Hmm. What would you change if you could go back and do something different in the process? Anything? <laughs> you, you know, um, I'm very proud of the process. Like I said, I'm, I'm part <laughs> of our team. And so as I think about what I would change, you know, we were in the middle of all of this in the f- spring semester. I'm so thankful because initially I was going to go on the first visit. Uh, but our chief academic officer said, you know what, let's send them first and let them, you know, it was all about the, the ownership. Right. Uh, and so we sent them first and we were actually planning to go in late March, early April uh, oh. to site visits. And we weren't able to go because of COVID. Right. However, um, they were able to provide videos and just from the testimonials of those teachers, those leaders, those who witnessed and, and brought brought it back, that was more powerful than if I had gone and said we were going to do it. 
Do you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So yep, I, yep. if we'd had more time and if it wasn't for COVID, uh, we'd had more visits. But um, other than that, uh, I think two years is, is enough to wait to do the right thing by children. Mm. Especially, to be <laughs> fair, and to give some credit here, when you're focused on that two-year journey and making incremental steps toward that thing that you want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of us would like to change COVID too for many, many different reasons. It's one of those things that's out of our control right now. Um, so you're getting ready for first year implementation, mm-hmm. which is always tough. That's another mm-hmm. level of commitment. But given the current context with not knowing about what school's going to look like in the fall, has your expectations changed at all for implementation? Uh, no. Um you probably, we, we haven't shifted. Uh, we are expecting full implementation. And yes, you heard me correctly. Even during this COVID crisis, we are expecting full implementation. Um, we recognize um, that there are some challenges, but I also know and I've learned through uh, all of the, the two pandemics that we've experienced, you know, with the um you know, COVID-19, which we're talking about, and also with some the racial injustices happening across our yeah. nation and, and the light shining on that, you know, um, literacy is so important. Like, we've got to get this right. Uh, and so it's actually um, kind of been a, uh, it's created an even more heightened sense of urgency. And so um, it's one of our, not just a strategic priority and a strategic plan, but it is really, um, as I, I began with earlier, thinking about our vision for our students graduating with more than a high school diploma, but with choices and opportunities and how literacy is the gateway to opportunity. So we have become even more focused and you will hear, you will see if you follow our district on social media, everyone is reading the knowledge gap. Everyone is engaged in the training. And I have been so, so pleased with um, with how everything has gone. I know uh, our chief academic officer, he's very technical, like he would be able to explain this in a much better uh, way. But he was telling me, you know, you know, it's almost like the adaptive and technical change. And so technically we had the power to say, you know, we're going to go this direction, even though I didn't know what that direction was even to, to go. So we could have said we're going to implement this. Mm-hmm. But um, and they would have gone through the motions, but we wouldn't see what we see now because of our two year pause. And that is because of the the adaptive change. When I tell you uh, that our uh, literacy framework and our literacy vision isn't just something that's on a sheet of paper, like you can ask anybody of what we want our students to know and be able to do and what kind of literacy experience, they will be able to speak to you about that. In addition, as we were preparing for um, COVID, I know who the, the part that, that that's the biggest challenge for me is not having a lot of our students face to face initially with everything that's happening. Yeah. But I've been pleased with how our um, during our curriculum launch, how our, our um, how our um, company or uh, partner has been able to to pivot. And uh, we have a robust virtual option um, that our teachers are actually feeling good about. And so um, 
So to answer your question, it has not changed our expectations. We haven't said, hey, we have COVID, so go back to doing that hodgepodge or whatever you were doing that was mediocre. Because I truly believe that during this season, during this time, it's even more important that we get literacy instruction right. Mm. So true. And then what are you what are you thinking now about sort of next steps in this process? Uh, You know, um, we're. We're going to hit the road on August 17th, uh, first day of uh, virtual instruction. And so we're excited about that. But a unique thing, when I tell you all the stars aligned, I told you about how we were in the middle of creating our literacy um, vision and framework when I got the the text from our Commissioner of Education on the book, The Knowledge Gap. And that was, you know, it was like the everything coming together. Well, our state is taking a... um, a great step, I think, in the right direction to get literacy right for all. And that is uh, we have these uh, literacy academies for all Texas K-3 through teachers and administrators. They have to complete these reading academies over the course of three years. And we could have paused this year, but we did not because what we found is uh, that year-long training, it goes along with and is aligned to our literacy vision and framework and our new uh, adoption. And so we're pretty excited about that too. And so um, it's just been um, a, a, a neat time to do what's right for kids as it relates to literacy for all day. I mean, it's like the the perfect time, even though uh, we're dealing with some uncertain times for literacy, <laughs> all the things, all the different pieces have come together at the, at the best time. Yeah, that is a really interesting moment and exciting for Mm -hmm. you and for your Mm -hmm. district and your teachers to think that you now have this new framework built on the science of reading. You have this new curriculum that's being implemented on the science of reading, and you have a you know state momentum all around (laughs) the science of reading. That's that feels really that feels really exciting. It's scary too. I'll be honest. It's it's scary, but I know it's the right thing, and I know it's the right work, and I'm confident we have the right people. Yeah. And we're going to come back and talk to you, you know, two years from now to see (laughs) how much improvement you've been able to make, because I know you're going to track that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Looking forward to to sharing the successes. So as we sort of wrap up here, I wonder what advice you would give to districts that are thinking about or just beginning a similar journey. Um, I would definitely uh, encourage you to um, study best practices. Um, I would also um, question data. I, I know that um, I can just speak for the Texas process of uh, we had, it's announced that it's up for adoption and then having all these uh, different ones and different entities come in. But I will look at the populations that you lead and think about um which districts mirror that and are getting good uh, outcomes and moving the needle. And I would just um, just make sure and develop a collective set of beliefs and expectations. But more so, I would learn myself. I mean, that's probably been the um, I know we have I have good people. I have, uh, like I said, an amazing chief academic officer. I have a great um, executive director of teaching and, and, and leading. I have a great director of literacy, but learning for myself, reading the information, becoming a part of the conversations and just making sure that we're making decisions that are uh, going to improve outcomes for our students and not uh, just 
the comfort sometimes of teachers. I love teachers because I recognize um, that it's teachers that make the entire difference. But I do believe that sometimes uh, we can get lost in the the cute cuteness of something and not uh, be moving the needle and yeah. uh, missing the, and missing an opportunity to to ensure that students are reading. Well, Dr. Gaffney, again, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the work that you're doing for students in the district there. Um, it was such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Susan. I look forward to celebrating our success in the next couple of years. <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you again. Thank you so much for listening. Are you ready to learn more? Make sure you join our free virtual literacy symposium. Literacy in a Changing World, Moving Forward Together. It's on Thursday, October 15th, and information is in the show notes. Also, be sure to stay connected by subscribing on your favorite podcast app and join our Facebook discussion group, Science of Reading the Community. Until next time, keep the hope, take the action, and stay in touch. <laughs>